Hello all and welcome to another episode of Old Everald and Young James Talk Politics. Uh, this is the first week in a long time that me and Everald's weekly meeting is not the most important meeting that an Australian took place in this week, given uh, our great Prime Minister Anthony Albanese met with President G on the sidelines of the ASEAN conference. Uh, so how are you, Ed? Well, I'm fine, mate. I'm fine. And uh, I've just had a bit of a holiday. I went down to see my family in Melbourne and went on to uh, to Tasmania for a few days to, uh, you know, to hide away and charge the old batteries on back and, and rarely go. Now, look, I think uh, Albo, well, I don't think Albo did. He did do well. There's no good time I think he did well. He did do well. He, while he's not a charismatic leader, he, he's not like Gough Whitlam who come into a room and take it over like a colossus, which I've seen. Sure, I'll, I'll Gough too, mind you. He comes in and, and, and acts the sensible, down-to-earth, practical guy who wants to sort things out uh, quietly without uh, a great fire. And rhythm. Now, the way he handled uh, uh, Z, I think, was important. No, I was... Uh, I'm old enough to remember when Gough Whitlam went there 50 years ago under great hostility, I might add, from the Liberals where Gough went there to open trade with China, which had been a pariah up until then, and he opened trade and this, this so-called mad socialist was the guy that opened trade with China and he opened the doors really well. So I thought it was great that 50 years later Albo was able to restore that after it had been stupidly destroyed by Morrison, and there's no other way you can say stupidly uh, that Morrison acted just to get the races voted in Australia by demonising, you know, the Chinese. And so I think you did well. What was your view? It's funny you bring up um, Whitlam's, because I think just the other week it was the 50-year anniversary of Whitlam um, creating relations with China. And then a few months after Whitlam did it, uh, Richard Nixon went over and did the same with America. This time it was in reverse, where Joe Biden had his meeting with President Xi to help normalise US-China relations again after a dumb leader in the US, uh, in Trump, threw US-China relations under the bus. And then days later, it was Albo meeting with Xi to normalise Australia-China relations after a big dumb oaf in Morrison threw Chinese and Asian-Australians under the bus um, for, like you point out, the racist vote. It's good for peace and security in the region. It's it's very important that Australia and China don't just get on, but are good friends, both from a security point of view, but also an economic prosperity point of view for us and for them. Um, you know, they were our biggest uh, our our biggest wine exports went to China, biggest iron ore exports went to China. Now, the Liberal and National Party talk, you know, love to run their mouth about how they stick up for the farmers and now the Labor Party and the Greens are the party of the inner city elites and whatnot. But wine farmers um, had it tough when relations with our biggest wine trading partner went down the chute. Um, it's so, so good to see talking again. I think it was the first time an Australian Prime Minister spoke to Xi face-to-face since 2018, so before even Morrison. Um, so it's huge, it's monumentous, and it's clear that Xi at least you know, that Xi respects Albo, considers that, that he can talk to him as a mature adult. And that's great for both countries going forward. So I'm really happy. Well, it is. And Malcolm Turnbull was the last guy who went to see presidency and, and and he handled it, you know, quite well, Malcolm. And I think Albo had the right, right touch. In my 
Many years ago in another life, I went to China on two separate occasions. Well, I went on holidays a couple of other times, but on two business occasions to negotiate contracts on behalf of organisations I was involved in. Now, they were only small contracts, they weren't bone shakers, but I got advice before I left on how to handle how to, how to handle Chinese, and that's a the, the bad word, how to handle them, but it's that they negotiate differently. Their laws are different. Their whole way is different. There's no good storming into the room the way you would if you're trying to sell sheep to some place in Long Reach. I mean, you've got to, you know, you got to. And so I found that it was very important never to laugh during the negotiations. It looked as if you were frivolous and weren't taking it seriously. You, you, you were friendly, but you were serious, and you only laughed at the end of it, and not laugh just around at the end of it. And you must never be aggressive. At the same time, you must never be stubborn. You had to be somewhere in the team, in the middle there, looking like the bloke who wanted to do business and getting there. And then it was important at the end of it too, this is important, always let them buy the drinks at the end of it because, I mean, that, that's their sign of saying thank you to, you know, roll in and say, well, I'm going to buy you fellas a few drinks. Uh, you offend them. And so I, I, I think that Albo has worked out that you... Your negotiations with China are far, far different to the way you deal with America and Britain and all of them different ball games. We've got to get into that ball game, haven't we? Well, I mean, under Morrison, the way we dealt with America under Trump was by sucking up to them and following them in every every little thing they did, no matter how problematic that was for our own Australian domestic policy. And I think that's the most crucial thing Australia needs is its own independent foreign policy. And an independent Australian foreign policy that's good for Australia means making nice with China, making nice with Indonesia, making nice with India, Malaysia, Singapore, uh, Japan, Korea. You know, th this is our region. Um, it's, it's our ties in this region that'll help us, say, help Pacific Island countries stave off climate change, help end poverty in Southeast Asia. You know, these are regional goals we can contribute to. Um, and if, if Australia and China are working together for these goals, suddenly the Asia-Pacific as a region is a much, much stronger region. Ah, true. And, and our future is with China, Japan, India, Indonesia, the four great nations of this part of the world. This is where we live, not with Britain and, and the United States, which are decaying nations, no matter how you but forget about that. This is our region. This is... Uh, you know, this is where we're this is where we're at, and so I, I thought it was uh, good progress. Uh, you know, uh, you know, all the way along uh, uh, the line there, and even uh, some of the most right wing people I know were complimentary about Alba. They said, "Well, look, look, at least he's opened the door." You know, they, they were prepared. He's, he's opened the door, and things are going to be all right. So I thought that was a, uh, you know, that 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 was a good thing. Now. At those conferences, uh, we had uh, President Macron there, who again got on well with Albo, which was something that Morrison never ever did. But he's still smarting about the cancellation of the contract. And he got stuck into AUKUS, uh, A-U-K-U-S, uh, and, and uh, in no uncertain terms. And, and I cheered him every inch of the way because I think our AUKUS agreement to buy these nuclear subs uh, uh, you know, is one of the most stupid things I've ever heard of in my life. Now, I can't understand why Alba and Richard Marles, in particular, the minister, are even carrying on with AUKUS. I mean, we should pull the plug, you know, on, on, on the whole thing and, and invest in, 
the defense of, the, of our own region in a sane and, and sensible way, and, and that's the way to go. So why is it that Albo is still carrying on with all Can you tell me, mate? You're my insider into the Labor Party. Can you tell me? Look, I, the, the, the biggest reason I can think of, and it's, it's the, the coward's reason, I'd call it, is because they don't want to face attacks from News Corp and the Murdoch press accusing them of being, you know, soft on defence and they don't want Peter Dutton and Andrew Hastie getting up there and saying Labor hates the army, Labor's weakening the country, rah, rah, rah. Now, I don't think that's a good enough reason because to my mind, like when you are a government, there are certain principles you have to stand for um, and pissing away hundreds of billions of dollars on submarines to make the region more dangerous is a principle I think a government, a sane government, should stand against. Um, abandoning it would be a great signal to China that we're ready to get on with normalising relations, cooling down tensions and getting back to being friends. But more importantly, there's so much more that money could go to. Uh, that money could go to increasing job seeker. It could go to hospitals, go to schools. It could go to fortifying the Pacific against climate change. Uh, you know, it could go to helping people with cost of living problems. There are a million, billion things that money could go to um, more worthwhile than nuclear submarines. So not just from a diplomacy point of view, but from, yeah, like a domestic balancing your budget and spending on your citizenry point of view. Like there are a lot of things I'd rather, I, I don't pay much tax, I must concede, but there are a lot of things I'd rather my tax dollars be going to than nuclear powered submarines. Well, uh, too, the military guys that I know, and I don't, I don't fraternise with the generals, but I know a few military guys. <laughs> they tell me that Z has got the capacity. If we get him annoyed enough, he can just uh, ring up his uh, head of the Red Army in China and say, "Look, I want to take the capital city of Australia out, take a couple of rockets." He could lob a rocket from, from all the way from China, fair on Canberra, and take the place out. Now, what the good is a nuclear submarine, you know, when, when, you know, when that uh, happens? What we need would be things like def early defence warning systems and things like that rather than, you know, uh, uh, stupid submarines. But it all comes down to the fact that I think our whole defence system needs a, a real regenerative. Maybe Albo's, as you say, taking it quietly and carefully, but I wouldn't worry too much about the Murdoch media because it's another two and a half years before Albo's got a place in elections. I think he's got a bit of time, hasn't he? Mm. Well, I, I see. I agree there. I just, I suppose the Labor Party always seems to play scared. You know, when when Morrison was in government, he would never not do something terrible because he was scared of being attacked for it. On the other hand, it, it always seems when the Labor Party's in government, they use the worry of being attacked to not do something good. Um, and it's a convenient excuse, but it's it's just time. Like the, the best way to prevent, um, you know, us being invaded by China, and I don't think China ever would do that, mind you. Um, but the best way to prevent that is by staying on good terms with China and showing that our nations have a mutual interest and in working together for the peace and prosperity of the region. Too, and there's, and there's also another side of it. Uh... That you know, we, we've had people coming out all week attacking Albo because they reckon he didn't stop Z from, uh, you know, his civil rights abuses in China, you know, uh, killing off the Uyghurs and, uh, you know, and whatever. Why didn't he stand up for that? Well, 
I don't reckon Australia's in any position to stand up because he can immediately say, well, look, how, how are you fellas doing with your Indigenous people? How are you fellas doing with your, with your refugees? Uh, uh, he, he could find a hell of a lot that we're not, uh, that we're not doing. When I think when you people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, but then Alba, I thought, was, was stupid, the attacks on him because they reckon he'd sold out to you. Because, well, what do you think? No, I, I mean, I, I completely agree. Like, if, you know, it's glass houses and throwing stones is the perfect metaphor because if we were to try to, if we, you know, people, you're, you're right, there were arch-conservatives saying, oh, here's Albo meeting with the dictator. That legitimises what he does and endorses it, rah, rah, rah. Well, you know, it, it's been bipartisan Australian policy to lock up refugees in prison camps where they get raped by the guards and have no redress for the past 15 years. Um your children overboard you know look at that with the, the way we treat refugees in this country is is no different to how you know like it's, it's the same reason our government can't stand up to qatar over the workers rights abuses going on at the um the soccer world cup because if, if we tried to get up qatar for using slave labor to build the soccer stadiums the salt of the qatar could turn around and just say well maybe you guys should look at how you treat your refugees in the prison camps before you turn around and Exactly right. Now let, let's move on to our friend Donald Trump. I know that you're utterly fascinated by Donald Trump. But that's what worries me about you, James. <laughs> you're utterly fascinated by Donald. Now here he is. He's announced he's running for president, and there's nobody ever going to stop him. Wouldn't matter because he's going to try and prove that he had the last election robbed from him. Now the Republican Party, of course, got a bit of a kick in the head in the midterms, and they're not quite as arrogant as they were a few weeks ago. But I think the whole thing has made them believe that if they run with Trump in 2024, they're probably going to lose. Uh, but they could well win by the, uh, very strongly with somebody other than Trump. Now, I think Trump, uh, the ego, uh, you know, will get him. But I think Trump will be rolled in the primaries. I think if DeSantis doesn't do it, there's a couple of other younger Republicans uh, uh, that that might do it, and I doubt that he's going to be contesting the final. Hey, what are you? What are your chances? What do you think of Trump's chances of becoming the president again? Well, I suppose that there are a couple things to say here. The first is that, um, like let, let's make no mistake here, DeSantis is a absolute hard right uh, evangelical zealot, um, and he has a lot of similar political stances to Donald Trump. He's just a lot more measured and calm about advancing them, um, which means he's a lot more palatable to people who liked Trump's policies, but thought Trump was just like a bit gauche in trying to well, advance well, yeah, them. Sanders um, looks as if he's got a few brains. Uh, mm. Forget about his rubber, but he looks as if he... Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, John, Donald Trump, you know, he couldn't organise the chickens into the coop. I mean, he just, you know, just had it. So, I think DeSantis could probably run. There might be one or two others that uh, uh, that might have a run. The rumour is that, that Liz Cheney might have a run now. She mightn't get very far. But I, I, if Donald thinks he's going to have a cakewalk through to the presidency, I think he's done, isn't he? Well, it, it depends on a couple of things. Like if, if it's just Trump versus DeSantis, you'd expect the Republican Party to by and large line up behind DeSantis. Um, but if it's Trump versus DeSantis, Liz Cheney, Marco Rubio, Rick Scott, Ted Cruz, and a bunch of other people, you'd expect 
the people who would have lined up behind DeSantis sort of splinter out a bit, while Trump sort of baked in solid 30% support is enough against a divided field to beat them. Now, the worry is um, the, the like Murdoch and that have already disendorsed Trump. Um, the New York Post reported Trump's announcement that he was running again. New York Post is Murdoch. Um, reported Trump's announcement that he was running again under the headline like unemployed retired Florida man announces he's running for president. And it was barely like a little sliver on like the 70th page. Mind you, I I can't for the life of me see why whoever becomes the president of the United States should be decided by Rupert Murdoch, by the way. That's great. But the fact of the matter is, if he says he ditched Trump, well, you know, that's uh, he, he had a big role in Trump in the previous yes. two elections. I think that's got to have a show. And so it, it depends entirely on what happens now. For instance, now that the Republicans have got a slight majority in, in the House of Reps, I don't know how many it's going to be. It's not going to be much if they, they might wind up with a majority of five or something. They will call off the investigation into the January 6th riots that, you know, that mm-hmm. the Democrats, Pelosi had done. That's going to get canned now, am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the thing that will depend, that'll factor in most whether Trump does win the nomination or not is, sure, you've got, like, Murdoch, right? And Fox News and New York Post and all the Murdoch publications. That's the Republican, quote-unquote, elites, right? Um, that's the the people who say this is who you should be voting for. Now, the thing is, though, Trump's support at the individual level with the the voters who will select the Republican candidate is very, very high still. Like we looked at the the midterms last week. We talked about how there were Trump-endorsed Senate candidates in Pennsylvania, uh, in Arizona, um, in, you know, all the the swing states, New Hampshire, Nevada, and all those Trump-supported candidates lost. The reason those Trump-supported candidates were the candidates was because Trump's word still carries a lot of weight, even if the elites are trying to distance themselves from him amongst the Republican voter base. And they love nominating crazies. So there's every chance that even though Murdoch and that try to break the Republican Party from Trump and senior Republican voices say, line up behind DeSantis, it's still the Republican voter base at the end of the day who decides the president. And they want January 6th called off. They believe the 2020 election was stolen. They believe it was right to raid the Capitol on that day. And there's every chance that even if the elites signal a break from Trump, the Republican voters don't let them do that. And that would be both scary and a little bit morbidly interesting. <laughs> I think a bit of skeletonry would have gone there, James. If I was DeSantis, and, and you know, there's a split field and the crews are taking some votes and all these other guys, I would find somebody, some young Turk in the Republican Party who was not on the right wing, who was running the president, attacking Trump over January 6th. Now, so DeSantis wouldn't attack him over it because he'd lose his power base. But I think they might get somebody to stand up and, and attack him over that in the primaries to knock him off, at least by in, in, in innuendo, about what happened on January 6th. So you're saying you think, like, if the elites are that committed to getting DeSantis up, they'll basically throw someone up as the sacrificial lamb to hopefully take That's Trump right. down with them, and then from the ashes, DeSantis will rise through That's the middle. That's what I'm saying. 
Now that that I could see happening uh, because I think it's obvious. The, the other possible option, of course, is that Murdoch runs back to Trump with his tail between his legs after Trump romps home in the primaries and says, sorry, Donald, I'm sorry, I'll back you again. We can't have four more years of the evil socialist Joe. Um, and that's probably the more boring option. <laughs> but, well, 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 that could happen too. And the other thing too is whether Joe Biden should yeah. run again. My gut feeling is he shouldn't. I, I think that he, he, he'd get rolled. Uh, uh, I don't think, uh, you know, the tide that came for the midterms is going to repeat again in the presidential election. There's a bit of water going to go under the bridge. And I'm sure the Republicans have got to find a better candidate. I'd like to see Michelle Obama run, uh, uh, you know, if everybody says she won't. But my experience of life is the more the people say they're not running, the more you can be sure they are. You know, and, and uh, so there, there's some interesting water to go under the bridge, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, as regards DeSantis, he won't be able to nominate until president till like mid next year, just on account of he just got elected governor again. Yeah. The one thing that would look terrible for him and would make him a really easy target is if he turns around tomorrow, two weeks after being elected governor and says, sorry, Florida, I'm running for the presidency now. So he's it's probably going to just be Trump running against himself for, you know, the next six months, eight months, 10 months, 12 months, whatever, until um, DeSantis and the other names gradually start throwing their hat in the ring. So we'll be following this story. We will indeed. Well, now let's get the good guys and, and bad guys. And my good person of the week is uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, she's a person that's one of those ones that people love or hate with most politicians, people love or hate, actually, but she was the first woman ever to become Speaker of the House. I believe she did a very good job in, in doing that. And she was one of the people who was instrumental in making sure that Trump didn't get re-elected uh, by the way in which he did things. And I thought she was a good state person, find all sorts of things wrong with her. I read a book about her life written by somebody who didn't like her, actually, and she came through out of that. You know quite well, and so I, uh, I think uh, she, she'll go down in history as a very important uh, legislator. I just hope the Democrats can get someone with her now uh, to be uh, the leader because they've got to try and attract some of those Republicans who don't like other Republicans to vote for the Democrats a few times, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with Pelosi, I'll say, is like, I don't her, her personal politics not a huge fan of because she was a big fan herself of punching left and attacking left candidates and trying to get boring centrists up instead like Pelosi was a big supporter of Hillary Clinton for example and we all know how that turned out but as speaker of the house itself like the job of being speaker and majority leader like making sure everyone in your party is present to vote for bills and making sure you've got people on the left of your party people in the center of your party people on the right of your party and crafting bills that are palatable to that whole broad spectrum of people, she was unmatched at. Like she had a second to none ability to be able to make sure that every Democrat in the party, no matter if they were from the Bernie Sanders side of the party or from the Hillary Clinton side of the party, she had an unparalleled ability to be making legislation that was palatable to everyone in the tent. That's not going to happen in the Republican Party. Because on one hand, yeah. in the Republican caucus, you've got 
you know, maybe 20 to 30 odd Republicans who were just like, yes, gay marriage is good. Yes, um, we shouldn't be attacking trans people and black people for no reason. We just like low taxes and business. And then on the other hand, you've got like the, the far religious right of the Republican Party who are saying, let's burn down all the mosques and reinstate Donald Trump as supreme leader. So the, the incoming Republican speaker is probably going to be Kevin McCarthy, but it might be someone else if, you know, a couple of uh, centrist Republicans defect. Uh, they're going to have a lot of trouble on their hands trying to rally. Yeah, I think, rally their I think they're, they're a divided party very much, and I think uh, uh, there's a lot to be played out. Uh, and so who's your good person of the week? Um, I, I absolutely hate saying this, but my good guy of the week is the English national cricket team because they won the World T20 World Cup in Australia. They deserve credit for it. They have an excellent batting lineup. Joss Butler and Alex Hales had a really good tournament. The way they played India in the semi-final was electric. Ben Stokes came in really clutch in the final against Pakistan and turned what was a coin flip game into a pretty dominant England win in the end. Um, Pakistan's Shaheen Shah Afridi, Pakistan's star pace bowler, he got hurt, which allowed Ben Stokes to feast on some part-time Pakistan bowling. And Pakistan did put up a good fight. But I do have to congratulate England for the way they performed throughout the tournament. And it hurts me to see England win a tournament on Australian soil, but credit where it is due. Especially given, you know, the, the trauma and the hardship that that nation, that fading empire has been through. It'll yeah. give the good people of England That's something right. to smile it, it, about for once. Gave them something to be happy about. And I agree with you, 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 uh, you, you know, your comment there. Now, now my bad guys of the week are the, the, the nation of Qatar, which next Wednesday, I think it is on Tuesday, Wednesday, about to run the World Cup, how they got it with draft and trust and other things, but they're now at the last minute bringing in all sorts of issues about religion and social behaviour and stopping the supply of alcohol having agreed they wouldn't now and I'm, I'm not saying teams need a lot of alcohol, but a lot of things should have been for them to say things at the last minute were just stupid, but also they used a hell of a lot of slave labour to build the, the stadiums and, uh, and whatever you and and I just think this, 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 I hope Australia does next week, but I, the whole tournament, in my view, is, is disgusting. Yeah, that, that's a bad word, but how do you feel? Now, look, you know, I'm, I'm generally inclined to agree. Um, in, in saying that, you know, it, it could well be that in Qatar right now, the, um, the old Sharif and Young Muhammad podcast is being recorded and they're saying Australia is their bad guy of the week for being awarded the T20 World Cup while locking up refugees on prison islands. So <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I, I think um, you're right, though, that the, the Qatari government, I've been told by someone who's had business dealings in Qatar and Dubai, um, the Dubai, the UAE government um, is a pretty socially conservative government, but being aware of the fact that they have a lot of Western businessmen and women, etc., they try at least to some degree, even if just to pay lip service, to be a bit more 21st century uh, with their morals and their beliefs in the UAE. Whereas Qatar, I'm told, is a very arrogant government um, and refuses bluntly to, um, to modernise the way they treat their people, much like Saudi Arabia, really. So um, I'm, I'm told, yeah, that the Qatari government is not, not a human rights world leader um, and the World Cup will be there. I know there's there's been some conjecture over whether it should be there. Um, someone was threatening to shred 
£10,000 unless David Beckham pulls his sponsorship away from the, the Qatari government and all sorts of things. Um, I'm sure we'll see a, a scandal or two play out as the World Cup progresses of, um, you know, some celebrities were harassed online because they were apparently going to perform because people were saying that's an endorsement of the Qatari regime. Then it came out they weren't performing and so they got a lot of apologies. It's just all a, a bit of a shit show. Pardon my French. Uh, well, look, I'll tell you what, now I'm going to add to it, Tim. This is really corrupt, mate. I've got an account with Ladbrokes, which I usually use only at Melbourne Cup time, uh, to, uh, and, and I don't use it otherwise. But I'm thinking of putting uh, 20 bucks, a big, big bet, big bet, 20 bucks on Australia to win the whole tournament. Now, I reckon Ladbrokes will give me at least 100 to 1. What, what, what do you reckon? Yeah, uh, look, they're, they're probably ripping you off if they offered 100 to 1. They should probably be giving you 5,000 to 1. <laughs> but, you know, the, the Australia will try hard and they'll do their best. I hope we do well because if we're overdue to you. It would be good if we say could get at least to the quarterfinal. Yeah. I mean, to get to do that, you've got to knock off France and Denmark and a few people. But, you know, we live in an age of hope, don't we? So I hope they at least get to But I'm going to put some dough on them to win. And, and, and if, if I win, mate, you know, the, well, well, you'll be a beneficiary. I'll send you a real good bottle of Scotch whiskey, mate. If I, I don't win, have to do that. You'll be right. <laughs> oh, well, it's not going to happen anyway. But mate, <laughs> uh, my, um, my yeah. bad guy of the week is someone who, next to, next to Peter Dutton, he's been making a bit of a home in this column. It's Elon Musk again. Uh, his latest shambolic management of Twitter saw him send out an email to all the employees of Twitter um, this week basically saying you have two choices, employees of Twitter, either take a three-week, three-month severance package or work longer hours, harder hours for the same pay. Um, and half the workforce has now been laid off since he took mm -hmm. over the company. Tesla stock, Elon Musk runs Tesla, is down 55% since the start of the year because investors all around the world are realising Elon Musk is actually a giant idiot. Um, we're going to post this podcast on Twitter. Please do not ban us, Elon Musk. <laughs> but um, he has also started unbanning accounts that were previously banned. And he did a thing today where he unbanned accounts on the far left and the far right of politics. He said he's unbanned Kathy Griffin, Jordan Peterson, and an account called the Babylon Bee. Because, you know, he's trying to do the thing where he says, I'm, I'm, unbanning both sides. Kathy Griffin was banned permanently from Twitter for impersonating Elon Musk, making a joke at him. Jordan Peterson and the Babylon Bee were banned from Twitter due to targeted harassment campaigns against transgender users. And so he's unbanning them all, you know? It, apparently, you can, if, if you committed the heinous, heinous crime of impersonating Elon Musk on Twitter, you should be thankful that he lets you back in and if you commit targeted harassment campaigns against gender diverse people on Twitter, he opens the door for you. Um, his management of the website has been a shambles. And um, I'd like to, you know, maybe next week this this podcast will go up on Facebook only. We don't know. So no, I'm sure we'll. Let you, I don't think we'll. Uh, I don't think we'll get banned. We're too. We're too little in the scheme of things. Maybe not a man ready ourselves. I think he couldn't care less what you and I say. But we can have a bit of fun. Saying things about him. <laughs> that's the job. Anyway, look, that, that's a good week of, of chatting, James. Now, you've got your final exams on Monday for your law, law degree, and yep. me and our listeners, uh, you know, wish you well. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a good step along the way. And 
and uh, I'm sure it'll go well. So we think thinking this weekend. And next weekend, we'll, I'm sure we'll have some permanent... I'm going to the Australian Parliament this week for three days. Uh, and so by next Saturday, we can have a little chat about a few things that I found out around the Parliament, a few things happening around the Parliament. The last two weeks sitting for the year, and I understand the anti-corruption bill is going to get voted on, hopefully, at least in the House of Reps anyway, uh, to get there. And I understand that the Liberals are cooperating fairly well, but we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, thanks for your kind words, Ed. It means a lot. Um, and I'm very keen to hear next week on the show. I'm sure we'll talk about your, uh, your adventure down to Canberra and all the mischief you get up to. So I'm sure our listen- listeners will be on the edge of their seats for that. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening, everyone, and ciao for now. Yeah, bye for now.